you're a man and you know God has called you to lead. The problem is you have no idea what that looks like in real time. Today we're going to interview co-founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, Jeremy Stallnecker, about his book on leadership and how he defines leadership. In this episode, you're going to learn a simple yet profound leadership to help you take those you love from where they are to where they need to be. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, sponsored by Mountain Tough Fitness Lab, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host, leading you to your best version in that stress bubble of life and beyond. Welcome to today's episode. Before we jump into our podcast day, I want to share with you uh, one of our hero stories. This is number... 17 this year that's come in already at the very beginning of the year. And uh, guys, as you know, a hero story is a story of transformation where God has used something within our ministry to impact your life or the life of someone you love. So this is number 17 from Seth. And Seth said this, not going to church or studying God's word, I became a couch Christian. When I started listening to your podcast, I realized just how far I had stumbled. Now I start every morning on my way to work listening to your podcast I started doing evening devotionals with my wife after we put the kids to bed and working on my relationship with the Lord. Man, that is the epitome of a hero story. He's loving God. He's loving his wife. He's getting involved. Thanks, Seth, so much for being a man in the arena and getting out of the anonymous bleachers and into the game. Hit us up with your physical address. We want to send you some swag to say thank you. Hey, guys, thank you again for helping us triple our podcast audience this year because you are sharing and subscribing to this podcast. Thank you for making this Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Hey guys, today I want to introduce my guest and friend, Jeremy Stallnecker. Jeremy uh, lives in Southern California with his beautiful wife of 25 years, Suzanne. Jeremy's a U.S. Marine Infantry Officer in Iraq, where he received the Veteran Navy Commendation Medal V for Combat Valor. He's a former pastor. He's the co-founder of the Mighty 
Oaks Foundation, which focuses on helping veterans adjust back to civilian life and deal with post-traumatic stress disorder, a.k.a. PTSD. They do this through sharing the gospel. Such a powerful organization. He's the author of multiple books, including March or Die, which I read, and Leadership by Design, which is the topic for today. Well, hey, Jeremy, it is awesome to have you on the show. You know, I was on your podcast a couple months ago, and we had a great time, and I've been looking forward to this. I've enjoyed your book behind me. I've got about 200 leadership books in my library. It's actually (laughs) more, I have more leadership books than I have Christian uh, life books, which is probably a... It probably is not a good thing, but but uh, I, I just love leadership, and um, yeah. your book uh, was one of my favorites because it, it's small, easy to read. You define leadership, and you just hammered your definition throughout the book, and I was like, finally, somebody who just says it over and over. That's just how I learn, man, so yeah. I sure appreciate it. But hey, before we get into your book, tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, yeah. You know what makes you tick so our listeners have some context. Yeah, I appreciate it. And man, it's great to be with you. Uh, the work that you guys do is absolutely amazing. And after our last podcast, or our first podcast, I guess, our only one. Yeah. The one we did together. Yeah, the um, one. Man, I, I've been uh, super stoked to get on and talk again, even if it wasn't a podcast, just to sit down and talk. So we need to make that happen. But um, yeah, man, it's so we'll talk about leadership and talk about the book. And I think kind of how I got to sitting down and writing that and working through that is my my life story or my life journey. I was confused about leadership and needed to work that out. I was raised in a pastor's home, uh, raised in a great home. Um, my dad is, you know, one of my heroes. And uh, he called me the other day, just helping me work through some things. So has been a mentor and a help to me. My mom's incredible. And when I was uh, nine years old, we moved to California where I am now. And my mom and dad started a church. So I watched that process of church planting, which meant my dad was working nights and then he was working days. <laughs> he slept a few hours a week and then had one full night on the weekends. That was Saturday night. And then he'd preach on Sunday. So watch that happen. Uh, my mom uh, worked a full-time, full-time job to make all of that happen as well. So I grew up in that environment, um, never felt called to ministry. In fact, I always kind of joke that the one thing you learn growing up in a pastor's home is that you don't want to be a pastor, right? That's, <laughs> That's the one my, thing you learn. My kids will tell uh, you the same thing. <laughs> and it's it it's funny because I, I I joke and like I I do mean that as a joke kind of, right? But that is one of the things you learn, but that's not because I was against church or God or any of the rest of it. I I never felt like I was running from God. I was very proud of my parents and what they did and I was thankful for that. I just knew that wasn't my calling. And so told my dad when I was a teenager, I felt like God wanted me to enlist in the Marine Corps. And uh, he said, God cannot possibly want you to enlist in the Marine Corps. It's got to be something else. And uh, I said, no, I really think that. He goes, all right, if you think that's what God wants you to do, I'm going to get behind it. I'm going to help you. But we want you to go to college first. And so um, I did. I went to a small uh, Christian liberal arts college. And in the process of all of that, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps served with 1st Battalion, 5th Marines, an infantry unit in uh, Southern California, deployed a couple of places. But finally, my final deployment was to Iraq in 2003. It's part of the initial invasion, the initial push into Iraq, all the way to Baghdad, and then retrograded back. And, you know, God does with us what we say he'll never do. Uh, A month after coming back from Iraq, I was uh, out of the Marine Corps and working on a church staff. And so, (laughs) um, yeah, God's God's funny that way. <laughs> um, and it's funny, and and this is a big part of the story, but it's not the whole story. But I, I was raised in a church, 
I was raised in a Christian home. I knew the importance of having my family in church, but at that point in my life, I wasn't super interested in being there myself. I just knew my my family needed to be there. Um, I was really focused on my job, really focused on my career. Um, but we found a great church, and in the process of attending that church, God worked in my heart through the preaching, the teaching. It was an exciting church. A lot of good things were happening. And my pastor at the time said, if you ever think about leaving the Marine Corps, I'll have a place for you here. And so um, I did. Came home from Iraq, uh, resigned my commission, and started working at the church. Um, new environment, ministry environment, uh, leadership-heavy ministry environment. Started reading books on uh, spiritual leadership and servant leadership and those kind of things. So I kind of had this idea of military leadership, uh, attended the best leadership schools in the world, in the Marine Corps, and then went into ministry. And uh, I can talk about kind of the differences there, but then really struggled for about a year. Um, the, the struggle was longer than a year, but struggled um, really badly for a year to the point that, um, you know, I, I say this humbly and and with kind of a broken heart that my wife should have left me. We had two little kids. Um, I didn't cheat on her. I didn't beat her, but I did everything uh, everything else. I was super angry. I was, you know, throwing things at 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 home and breaking things and screaming at my children. And I was a lot of fun to be around, um, while working on a church staff, by the way. So, um, I, I was the only military guy on our church staff. Our church is about four miles from Camp Pendleton. So a lot of military couples. So with, with no training, um, with no Bible education, I was given the job of counseling young military couples. So I'm a train wreck at home, but I'm counseling young military couples, uh, became surprisingly a train wreck at church. And uh, my pastor eventually said, we just can't do this anymore. You are going to have to either figure this out. <laughs> uh, this is 2003. We weren't talking about trauma or any of those things then, right? Yeah, so yeah. We need to you need to figure this out or you need to go somewhere else. And uh, God used him. God used my dad, my wife, a um, couple of other people to um, get me to the place where I was humble enough to acknowledge I was the problem. It wasn't everyone else. And uh, God began to heal in that process, uh, I was at that church for five years, and uh, a lot of things happened there, of course, and uh, eventually pastored a church up in the Bay Area, up in uh, Fremont, California. Oh, yeah, I know right uh, where it is. Yeah, and I, I was there. It was great. I pastored there for, for uh, seven years, and um, man, another leadership environment, right? It was a, a an older church, but a very small church. A lot of things had happened there, and so a lot needed to happen. And I had to go through a process of healing and growth with that church family. And so work through that. And as God brings these pieces together, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, not a lot of veterans, not a lot of military, but God um, connected me with Chad Robichaud, who was founding the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And uh, Chad has a background in a lot of things. Ministry is not one of those things. <laughs> and uh, we met and he said, hey, I'm, I'm working on this thing, trying to put this together. Would you help me? And uh, we began working together in 2012, resigned my church in uh, 2000, my church, it was God's church, it was where I, I, where I was working, Yeah, but uh, resigned, resigned the pastorate in 2015 and uh, started working full-time. I'd been working basically full-time before that with Mighty Oaks, but uh, we were growing to the point that I needed to you know, leave the church and focus on what we were doing there and uh, have been ever since. So a lot of other things have transpired and taken place, but um, that's kind of the long and short of it. So pretty interesting journey. Um, God's been very gracious and very good to me and my family and, uh, very thankful for the path he's kept us on. Well, Hey, just to make you feel better when I was newly married and a pastor, 
I prayed more than once for God to take my wife out so I could keep well. doing ministry. So uh, so don't feel bad, bro. I just want to encourage you. Uh, it can get worse. So I have a point of clarification. Yeah. So in the intro, I called your organization the Mighty Oak Foundation. Is that is it called Mighty Oaks? What yeah, Mighty it? Oaks Foundation, which only matters if you're going to our website. It's Mighty Oaks with an S programs.org. So that's our uh, okay. that's our website. But yeah, Mighty Oaks uh, Foundation. Um, yeah, that's it. Well, as soon as I heard you say that, I went, oh, oh, I blew it. So you <laughs> yeah, know, people it, figure it out. It's, it's just really, it's just really interesting, you know, uh, how God does stuff in our lives. You know, I came to Christ through a man who promised me I wouldn't have to go to church to be a Christian. Sure. And then I became a pastor. So you know, God, it's, it's just really interesting, yeah. and it's been fun to watch my kids navigate through their dad being a pastor all their yeah. lives. So they're saying, hey, we want more money, and right. we want less right. headache. Right. And I'm like, yeah, right. I kind of get that. But I, I love what you do. Tell us about the Mighty Oaks organization. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Mighty Oaks Foundation. So we uh, work with veterans, active duty service members, first responders, and spouses. So if you're a spouse, we will uh, help you work through issues related to trauma uh, from military service, service in the community if you're a first responder. Um, often it's it's trauma related to just life, a lot of folks, many, many folks who attend our programs have experienced trauma as a child or in a relationship somewhere outside of their service, but then brought that into the military or brought that into their service in the communities. And so um, that kind of, you know, just blows everything up. Right. And so they're dealing with that trauma. We address those things uh, from a faith perspective, from a biblical perspective, and what that means to Christian people, and I always have to explain this when I'm in a kind of a secular audience, but totally. what that means to Christian people is we believe that there is a creator, God, <laughs> that he created us with with purpose, with direction, and that the only way to move forward in spite of what's happened behind us, what you know, that that stuff in our past, the only way to move forward is in relationship with him through Christ. And so uh, when we talk about trauma and all these other issues that folks are dealing with, um, Many of the folks, the majority of people who attend our programs are not Christians when they come. So we don't start with, with hey, welcome, you need to have a relationship with Christ, but we walk there. And through um, a week-long program, we talk about trauma, we talk about what it is and what it isn't and how to move forward in spite of that. But really what we push to is trying to illustrate through our lives, every person who attends or every person who um, uh, leads and teaches and works in the small group setting, answering questions, has come through as a student. And so um, every class is taught from a testimonial position. So it's oh. we're talking about character. I want to tell you where I failed in this and what God did in my life. And so over the course of several days, we work to an understanding of the underlying principle, the underlying foundation that you have to have is a relationship with God through Christ. And we talk about what that looks like. And so... Um, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. A lot of people who attend our programs are there because they have nowhere else to go. They've tried everything else. Uh, they've tried the pills. They've tried the counseling. They've tried all the other things. But e even though those things may have helped, they fall short in the long run because there has to be a foundation of Christ. And, and so we're able to walk through that. And because we've all come from that community, we've all come from that background— we're able to get past that that wall or that facade that people throw up. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. We we knocked that over in like the first two sentences of the welcome, <laughs> and uh, and we're able to say, look, we do know where you're coming from because we've been there, and we're not better than you. We're not even we don't even have it all figured out. 
but we're a few steps further down the road than you, and we want to help you get there. Well, you so, know, in, in, yeah, your book that, in the book that you and Chad wrote on post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, yeah. I, I really appreciate – first of all, I really align with you guys. I love your message. I love your unapologetic presentation of the gospel. It's actually rare to have yeah. that, so I appreciate that. But I, I love how you actually define what trauma is and what isn't. We yeah. throw that word trauma around. You know, oh, I'm 25 and my parents took my cell phone bill mm -hmm. and I have to pay for my own gas now. I'm having a traumatic quarter-life crisis. No, you're yeah, a spoiled and tied yeah. little baby. So right. I, I, so you <laughs> right. guys, and, and when you say that, when you define trauma the way you define it, and you speak about somebody who's had a traumatic life event, I can say, okay, this is legitimate trauma these guys are working yeah. with. It's really, I mean, because when you throw these words around flippantly, for those who've experienced major life trauma, you know, Chad in his book that you guys wrote together talked about uh, wanting to commit suicide. Yeah. I mean, you you talked about almost wanting to commit homicide. You know, I mean, this is some big <laughs> stuff. And so yeah. we don't want to downplay it by flippant comments. So I right. really appreciate that. I want to, and you know, the other thing I appreciate, I'm just sh kind of pumping you up right now because I love what you guys do. You know, <laughs> well, I appreciate in, it. In the Hopefully book, we can end when you're well, done doing but that. But here's the, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, the thing about you guys I love too is we have a similar heart this way. You have a massive organization, and in, in the book on PTSD, you guys have given away, at the time yeah. the book was written, 250,000 copies. You gave them away. It's probably close to 400 now. But, yeah. I mean, to me, that's super impressive. So thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for what you do. Thank you for your service. Uh, we really take that very serious around here. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we are all about, and, and so... You know, with our programs, uh, we've had conversations in the we had conversations in the early days. We don't really have them anymore about what do we charge and how much should we charge and 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 I mean, we fought for a long time. Not Chad and I, but us against you know, a lot of people on Wrestled. the outside, right? Yeah. Like, well, you need to. They need to be some buy-in. There needs to be all these things. And we just concluded the people who need help the most are the people who are going to use any excuse possible to not get help. And so by God's grace, we have incredible donors that make the program free of cost. We cover the cost of travel to get a veteran active duty service member, first responder, spouse to one of our programs. And then we make all of our resources available to them at no cost. Now, um, when I'm at a speaking event at like a church, I'll hold up one of those books and, and you, you've seen them. They're small, about 10,000, 12,000 words. And I'll say, hey, I want you to go out to our table and buy as many of these as you possibly can. It's the worst deal you're ever going to find. I'm going to charge you $9 for a book that costs 65 cents. Um, but what that does is it allows us to hand out, at this point, hundreds of thousands of copies. And so, uh, man, God's been so good to us. We've learned so much. It would almost be criminal for us to uh, try to, you know, uh, extort from those who are struggling so much exactly what they need. And I'm not against selling books. We sell a lot of books. Um, but there are some people that just really need someone to love them and care for them. And, and God's put us in a place where we can do that, which is awesome. So, Chad, just a, a personal ministry. Well, it's not personal, but just curious. So we're about 80% donor-supported. What, what percentage yeah. of your support is from donors? 100%. Yeah, we're 100% okay. donor-supported. We um, and, and, and we're in a different type of you know organization and, and ministry, but... Um, kind of the pull for us is to maybe government funding and those type of things. And there's just a lot that comes along with that. So to this point, we haven't, we haven't done that. So yeah, again, by God's grace, uh, we have some great donors who just say, Hey, keep doing the work and, 
and uh, we'll keep making it possible. Yeah, we sell some, we make some money from books and some money from speaking. But I don't know what the number is. When I say 90, yeah. my board goes, that's not exact. So I just say the majority. <laughs> so sometimes it's 90, sometimes it's 80. Yeah. depends on my, you know, what I had for lunch. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, tell us. I, I say that too. So we do make money on books and speaking, but we lose money. We, we have people give money toward those things, but we lose money every time we do it. So um, <laughs> yeah, so us Chad too. and I will have this conversation like, okay, for me to go to that place to speak is going to cost us far more than we're going to raise while we're there. So um, again, it's part of our mission is having people sign up for programs yep. and, and we get them in. So, yeah. It's, and that's why we uh, registered our 501c3 as a faith-based because we don't yep. want the government to yep. tell us what we can and yep. can't do. That's and right. because Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right. That's so good. There's a lot of that's shame good. attached to that. And so, hey, but let's dive into your book, man. Yeah. I mean, so Leadership by Design, why the title? Why'd you write it? Yeah. So I just shared my story, right? And so Man, leadership has always been important to me. My dad's a strong leader. Um, the pastor that I ended up working for, who I'm great friends with now, you know, 25 years later, um, is a very strong leader. And I wanted to be a good leader. So I started reading every book they were reading. And then I got into the Marine Corps, and there's a very specific path. Um, as an infantry officer, I went to officer candidate school. And then I went to what's called the basic officer course, which all Marine or Marine officers go to. And then because I was an infantry officer, I went to infantry officer course. So I had over a year of pretty aggressive, <laughs> uh, very scripted leadership training. And that's what I adopted. It was the guy who's the loudest, who's the most confident. He's kind of jumping up on the table saying, you know, we're going this direction. That's the leader. And then I went into ministry and saw great leaders in ministry. Um, started to read books on spiritual leadership and servant leadership. And, and you mentioned this. So again, I need to be very careful that there are wonderful books. I read books every year on spiritual leadership and servant leadership and just leadership. And, you know, there's so much good content, right? But what I kind of took away from a lot of that, particularly spiritual leadership content, and this is me. Okay. So, so anyone who gets mad, don't get mad. This is me. I read that and I went, huh? This is a lot like what I was taught over there, but it's got God attached to it. So it's manipulation. It's I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do. But if I attach God to it, then you kind of have to. You're almost obligated to. Now, that's not fair to everyone who wrote, has written a book on spiritual leadership. Um, you know, Blackaby's books and so many other books are, are just fantastic, very, very helpful and have been helpful to me. But at that point in my life, I was so confused about, is it the loudest guy? You know, the Bible tells us to be humble and to be meek. And what does that look like? And Jesus certainly was a strong leader, but wasn't, um, you know, always at least the guy who was, you know, screaming, demanding uh, things be given to him or done by those that followed him. And so I had this weird, like, these, these different angles, if you will, I guess, of leadership. And I didn't know what it all meant. So I sat down, not to write a book, but to understand for myself what leadership is, what the Bible says about it, what Jesus, really the greatest example we have of leadership, modeled for us and worked through that, and, and it became that book. Um, and, and what I concluded was there were a couple things. One is that we are all leaders by design. If we're made in the image of God, which we are, then we all have the gift of leadership, if you want to call it a gift. We certainly have the imperative to lead. That is to carry others forward. 
That's something we are created with. So for someone to say there are leaders and people who aren't leaders, or I'm not a leader, that's just not correct. If you are created in the image of God, which you are, then you are a leader. Okay. So then what's the problem? Why do, why does that break down for us? Well, it breaks down because we have these confusing definitions of leadership and confusing models of leadership. So I knew, and you mentioned this, I knew what I had to do was settle on a clear, actionable definition of leadership. And, and there are some great definitions uh, out there. I looked at a lot of them. Um, but what I came to conclude was this, and this is my definition. Uh, leadership is taking people from where they are to where they need to be. Leadership is taking people from where they are right now to where they need to be. Those words are all really important. Again, this took me a long time to settle on this as a clear definition for myself. And I understand, you know, we're all just um, the consequence or the result of inputs and, 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 that's not unique to me, but that was a light bulb moment for me. My job is not to get people as a leader. It's not to get people to do what I want them to do or to go from where they are right now to where I need them to be. My job as a leader is to take the resources, the skills, the opportunities, the stuff that God has given to me. My job is to steward over those resources God has placed in my hands and to help those in my life that I have influence on to move from where they are right now to where God wants them to be. And we can talk about that in so many other settings. Um, You know, there's management, there's leadership. Management is great. It's not in conflict with leadership. Management is moving people and things around. It's getting things done. Um, Very, very helpful, certainly necessary. But a leader is someone who says, I see you, and man, God wants to do something great with you. Let me get you to that place. Um. And and again, there are a lot of applications. We can talk through some of those if you'd like, but but that's that's really fundamentally where I ended up. So, so you're, so, you know, uh, um, every, you know, Maxwell has his definition of leadership. Heibel's had his, it was Maxwell's his influence. Heibel's was something similar. And I will say this, if to our guys listening, if you're a man by virtue of your gender, you've been called to lead at least one squad sure. and that is your family. And so yeah. I don't know if you know this Jeremy but your leadership def I love your leadership definition. It, it says what I think it needs to say and encompasses everything that needs to happen. Tom Landry, Hall of Fame great coach for the Dallas Cowboys and believer, he said that leadership is getting people to do what they don't want to do hmm. in order to become what they want to become. Yeah. Isn't good. that funny? It, it sounds like yeah, raising children, doesn't it? So, yeah, I, but good. I want to focus on your definition. So, you did something just now that I thought was really interesting. That's not in the book because when you're writing something, you can't vocalize it. I I heard in your uh, intonation that you actually broke that leadership definition down into moving parts. Yeah. So let's let's work on let's work through that a little bit. So yeah. you said, uh, why don't you do that? You you did that without without me asking you yeah. to. So let's why don't you break it down in your brain? What are the parts of leadership as you see it based on your definition of moving people from where they are to where they want to be? You know, it's it's funny too. You you say that and you're exactly right. I wrote that book in 2017, 2018, 2016, 17. And and I've had so much time to think about it and teach it and work through it that sometimes 
even though you get it, you know, technically right, you don't exactly know what you have, right? And so it's yeah. taken me a while to break that down specifically. But yeah, leadership is 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 taking people from where they are. So this is this can be anyone, right? Yes. This is really important. Okay, it's from where they are right now. Now, and this is why leaders are, you know, we're leadership by design. Um, all of us are called to lead. You just said, men, you're called to lead. That's absolutely true. I think probably the most powerful leaders in the world are moms who are staying at home with their kids. And they think, well, I'm not a leader because I'm, no, you're taking those children from where they are to where they need to be. Where, where do they need to be? Well, if you're a Christian, they need to be productive adults that are living a life that honors God. And there are 10,000 steps between where they are as children to there. Um, and, and on and on we could go. So all of us have that opportunity, but it's taking people from where they are right now to where they, <laughs> that's them. Yes, I, I noticed that, yes. Leadership is not about you. This is what we get wrong. We, we pay at lip service. We say that. You go to conferences, they say that. You see it on posters and books. But it's not. <laughs> it's about taking them from where they are to where they, they, the person you're leading, needs that's a an imperative they need that we need to, to talk be. about that word the word need is important yep um we can say well i'd like to be there all right well you know like and need are not the same i feel like that's where i should be uh, that's great why do you need to be there now again so many different settings we go down a thousand trails right if if i'm a business leader and I have an employee, I'm going to take them from where they are, maybe as a low-level employee, to where they need because of their skills, because of their abilities, because of what they can contribute down the road, because of what they could earn, because of what they can become, where they need to be. Maybe that's training. Maybe that's opportunity. Maybe that's uh, me pushing them a little bit. But they need to be over there. They may not want to be over there. Uh, they may be comfortable with where they are, but they need to be there. They need to grow. They need to move. They need to get there. I've got four kids. Um, I'll tell you, my kids don't always want to be where they need to be. But thankfully, I have the Word of God that tells me where they need to be, at least largely. And God has some specific callings for their lives as well. But where they need, need. That's the need to be. And that's given to location, right? Um, and that can be a vocation. It can be a, a person that they're you know, married to. It can be a lot of different things. But where they need to be, what does that look like, and where are we taking them? So it's funny. In the subtitle of this interview, I'm going to call it Navigating People from Where They Are to Where They Need to Be. It's good. Because, because they're navigating. And here's the thing that I've learned with my kids, even with the people that work for me. Uh, they may not want to be there. Yeah. And I really don't care what they want. I mean, I mean, I care what <laughs> right. you know, the problem I think with parenting today. And if you're a man who's bulldozing your kids problems away, listen, you're hurting them. You, yeah. you hate them. Yeah. So, so my kids, and I know this is sound, sounds, this is going to sound weird. If it's, if I'm wrong, call me out, Jeremy, my kids need to suffer while they're sure. in my home so I can help them. In other words, I need to challenge and stretch my kids to go through yeah. adversity and trials and pain. The last thing I need to do is what they want. They want they want to play the, the, the video games and sit on the couch and not work. And when, man, I love that word need because, man, yeah. I don't know, I'll, maybe the majority of the time people don't want to go where they need to be. <laughs> and, and, and understanding in all of that, it's not about you, right? So th this is... 
I, I said I have four kids. I've got a 24-year-old, a 22-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 14-year-old. So we're past the age where they're like throwing a temper tantrum when we go to the grocery store. But I remember those days, right? And as a parent, there were a lot of times I'd get upset at my kids who threw a temper tantrum in the grocery store because it embarrassed me. And so I would do my best to get them to obey, to control themselves, so that I would not be embarrassed. Now, I can mask that in good parenting, and that's what you're supposed to do. But really, that came down to me. A good leader in the home is someone that says, I need my kids to obey out in public, because when they become adults, they need to know how to control themselves in public, <laughs> right? It's not about me. It's about them. And we can blow that up into every other area of our lives. We invest in them. You gave the example of your kids um, and doing hard things. I need to let my kids do some hard things. My son, who's who's 14, who won't listen to this podcast, <laughs> is uh, he decided he needs, year, to. Freshman, he needs yeah, to. He needs to. He needs to. But I'll tell a story because he's not going to. As a, <laughs> as a freshman in high school, he decided he would play a, play a sport in his school um, and doesn't get along well with the co uh, with the coach and he's struggling in some areas and he can still back out if he wants to. And I said, you know what? You can do anything you want next year, but this year you're going to finish. You're going to see this through. That's not because that makes me feel good. I want to help him out. I want to do that for me. I want to say, yeah, just, just walk away. It's okay. This is the time in the season where you can leave if you want to. No harm, no foul. But what he needs is to go through the adversity of that, deal with the coach, deal with the other players, deal with the situations he's struggling through. I can help him walk through that because down the road, where he's going to end up, where he's going, yep, he's going to be in that same scenario a thousand different times in his life, and, and hopefully we can walk through that together now. Taking him from where he is to where he needs to be. Needs to be. So needs we have a be. saying in my organization. So we've created a culture in our organization where my people can call me out. I've invited. In fact, yeah. I've got a book coming out in the fall that's going to be a USA Today bestseller. And my one of my staff called me and said that this one chapter is 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 not good. And I was like, No, you're wrong. Blah blah blah. And I started <laughs> thinking about. It, I thought, Dang it, she's right. So I'm rewriting yeah. the chapter. Yeah. And and here's and she said, Oh, I appreciate you know having a boss that will listen. Well, no, 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 no. If I wouldn't listen, that's about me. It's not yeah. about the man. It's about right. the mission. So when I'm leading my family. I can't think about my, you know, bragging about my kids, my, my, my. It's it's about the mission of our family, and then more than that, the the uh, the the ability in helping the, those in my life, whether it's my wife or my children, to become who they need to be and to get where they yeah. need to go, even if it costs me something. That's right. As the leader. That's right. So man, yeah. that's just this is. I mean, this is. I feel like I'm in a football film room breaking down a film right now, but uh, this is really good. Just getting them. So you said something early on in your book, and I just want to read it so our guys hear it. I thought it was very, very powerful. You said, and I know that you're writing to men and women here, but when I read it, it just resonated sure. for men. You said, if you are not, you said the premise of this book is clear. If you are not leading, so you throw it out there early on. If you are not leading in some capacity, and I would say for men, that is uh, absolutely 100% true. According to your unique talents, abilities, and opportunities, then you throw a then out there. So an if-then postulate. You are not living the life you were created to live. Hmm. So if a man is listening to this right now and they realize where I am right now, 
as a non-leader is not work because leadership is utilitarian, right? You're either doing it or you aren't. Right. I'm not where I need to be. What would you tell that guy? If you're not leading the way that you, yeah. How does that guy get back in the game and get out of the bleachers? Yeah. So when I teach this, and and it's in the book as well, but when I teach it, it's a clear point: is the time to start is now, <laughs> and the time to start is now. It's it's crazy how we allow what we haven't done to prevent us from doing what we know we're supposed to do. I haven't. We we allow what we haven't done to prevent us from doing what we know we should do. It's it, I mean, I, I do it too. I mean, it's, you know, it's the first of the year, right? And so we all have these ideas of what we're going to accomplish in the new year. And then we write them down and then we look at it and we're like, ah, I didn't follow through last year. So there's no way I'm going to follow through this year. We look at leadership the same way. Well, it's hard. It's, it's challenging. There's all these books and all these steps and, and all these laws. You know, if you like Maxwell, <laughs> there's all this stuff I've got to do. And say, ah, I'm not going to do it. No, start where you are. This is this is what drives me nuts about this, is if leadership is simply using what God has given you to help the people in your life go from where they are to where they need to be. You're knocking down walls, you're opening doors, however you want to look at it. That's not hard. But you need to stop looking at yourself and instead look at the people in your life and ask the question, how can I serve them? And it's not serve them by making their life easier. This is what we could spend all day on this, but husbands who say loving my wife means I let her do whatever she wants or go wherever she wants. That's hating whatever. your wife. That's not that's not <laughs> love. Certainly not Ephesians five yep. love, right? It's doing what she needs. It's providing what she needs. It's knocking down the wall so she can fully be what God created her to be. And and looking at it that way, it's it's enough of a shift that regardless of what you've done in your past, you should be able to say today. I'm going to start looking at people different and start asking, what do I have that they need to get to where they really need to be? You know, it's really interesting because it is knocking down walls. Uh, but if yeah. you look in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that he who manages his household well, and that Greek word yeah. is prostomai, and it literally, it, it basically talks about building walls. So you're mm. knocking down walls, but you're also building a wall. So when you tear that wall down, yeah. you are a wall around it. So that they yeah. can start to reconstruct what has been deconstructed, and so, yeah. and here's the thing I think where guys get stymied is that they go, "Man, I'm just, I'm just not a leader." Well, in your book, I, you honestly, you've got guys by the throat in this book, like they're not going <laughs> anywhere. That you've got them by the throat. You said this. You said we must understand. This is page forty-one. Leaders aren't born, and I think that's so important. Leaders aren't born. Yes, if you have our man, you have the mantle. Uh, God has given you the mantle and the mandate to lead. Okay, but but leaders are developed. You continued. They are developed over time by intentionally becoming the men and women they were created to be. And so, you know, you said was start with where start with where you are. And yeah. I and I would I would dot 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 and say this and do something. Yeah, do something. Like right. I don't That's care right. what you do. Do something. Yeah. Do something. Yeah. I, and I, I think, you know, even that, that sentence that you just read, and then I use a Vince Lombardi quote in there too, It's be, it's been a, a little bit confusing because on one hand I say you're created to lead. On the other hand, I say leaders aren't born, they're, you know, they're made or <laughs> developed over time. What I mean by that and what I, what I meant by that was I believe we are created by God to lead. That's the call that God puts on our lives. But the fact that he's called you to do that and created you to do that doesn't mean you're doing it. 
you have to make a decision and then gain the tools and then continue to grow into that. And, and yes, because otherwise we look at it and say, well, I'm not that guy or I'm not that girl or I'm not that person. And so I can't do it. You absolutely can. I mean, we've been told that we're supposed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I, I, I say this often to me, the most powerful leadership passage in all of the Bible is Philippians chapter two, <laughs> where, where the church is told what to do. They're told to have the mind of Christ. And then Paul drives it right back to Jesus, yep. who being in the form of God, he's yep. God. Yep. Thought it not Robert to be equal with God. He wasn't confused about that. Yep. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant yep. and was made in the likeness of men and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus did for us what we needed him to do. He didn't need to do that for himself. He did it for us because only he could do it. To me, there is no better picture in all of the, the Bible than that one of leadership. And what does that mean? It means you just use what you have. <laughs> We're not God, but you use what you have to help the people in your life get to where God really wants them to be. Well, And, and, and you can do something, get there. And he did it because it's what he had to do to get us to where we needed that's exactly right. To be. Exactly and we right. didn't start out wanting to be there, but we needed there. Right. And so through a series of events, we came to Jesus. And I yeah. you know, and I, I don't think I just want to say this to you. I don't think that those are contradictory. I think that God does create us for this, but there's a natural tension because no leader knows how to get there initially. That's right. I mean, we yeah, all God right. puts us, look at Gideon, you know, we, he puts us in over our head or he right. asks us to do something very hard so that we depend on him. So God yep. himself God himself, beyond our salvation, so let's put salvation aside, he still takes us from where we are to where we that's need right. to be. You know, that's what, you know, Proverbs uh, or uh, Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, you know, may God fulfill his purpose. You know, yeah. I mean, there's all these verses that talk about that. So it's really a beautiful tension. That's good. And I yeah, guess if we're good. not feeling the tension, if we aren't feeling the leadership tension, like I've got 20-something kids now. And I still feel the leadership tension. You know, I yeah. feel the leadership tension of my wife. There should be a tension there, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. so this is good. Yeah. I mean, this is really good, yeah. man. I just, yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, what what you're doing here. So you you talk about, uh, you, you spend quite a bit of time in your book with some Covey material, uh, which is, you know, seeing the end at the beginning. So 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 there's this concept of of taking people from where they are to where they need to be. But that need to be requires foresight as a leader, correct? Yes, it does. It requires, I think, a couple of things. One is foresight, is understanding where they need to be. It, but it also requires uh, listening to them and understanding where they are. Oh, that's uh, these oh, are the, no, no, I'm no, you can't say that. I'm a horrible listener. Don't you know you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. That one hurt. That one hurt there, uh, Jeremy. Come on. <laughs> when I so when I talk about this and, and maybe you'll get here, but the question <laughs> the, the question naturally comes up, okay, well, if leadership is taking people from where they are to where they need to be, um, what should I focus on? Because I wanted the list, right? The what we used to call the Marine Corps, the tactics, the techniques, and the procedures. I wanted that list. Okay, well, let me give you a list. Second Peter chapter one gives a list. And it's a list of elements that need to be present in our lives in order for us to fully live out the gospel. And so I talk about those and I break those down. So it's it's really focusing on being a leader, not focusing on doing leadership. So to, to your point, two aspects of that are, you know, one of them is 
is understanding is foresight. It's it's understanding where we're going, and, and you have to be that person. The Bible talks about that often. We get a lot of that from Scripture. We get that from you know James one five, asking for wisdom and God giving us wisdom and helping us to know the direction that we're supposed to go. Um, so that is necessary. But knowledge is a key element in the character of a leader. Again, Second Peter chapter one, knowledge. What does where does knowledge come comes from? It comes from asking and understanding. And, and I, I I say this all the time. I've counseled. And, and you have to thousands of people, and and most people are not that different. So when someone brings an issue to me, within like twelve seconds, I've already figured out what their issue is and what they need to do next, and then also concluded they're probably not going to do it. Right? This has all happened in less than thirty seconds, um, and and so many times I've been wrong. Knowledge is listening, it's understanding. And then it's working with them to to really get them to where they need to go. Um, I can't know what God's will for someone is. I can know generally what he wants them to do. I can know generally where he wants them to go. I can know what the big picture is, Mm -hmm. and I need Mm -hmm. to be in his word to understand Mm -hmm. that. But I also need to know them and understand them and help them get there. So uh, it's foresight with knowledge. I really, <laughs> it's understanding I really appreciate where we're going, but knowing them. Well, I, that's uh, with my own children. The pride is a weakness for me. Was a weakness. Oh yeah, because I yeah. saw. But your dad, your dad did a good job with you because he heard yeah. you say you want to be a marine. He was like, oh no, this guy's called to ministry. Your dad knew you were called to ministry. <laughs> sure, but he had sure. to support you and listen to your heart and allow you to take the path that God put you on. Because mm. if you had not gone to the Marines, you might not have circled back to the ministry. Yeah. You know, who knows what who knows what would happen? Yeah. But yeah, but I think that's really good sitting down. I think especially, I mean, even you know, dads, you dads with daughters, man, you really need to listen to her yes. heart. Yes. I mean, you really need to listen to her heart, and you need to do it in a different way than your boys, because mm. man, she's got something that she needs to say to you, and somebody yeah. <laughs> needs to be there to listen. I mean, you know, yes. more so than our boys, the the little girls, they talk more and they need to process with their dad. So, so yeah. I really appreciate that that. This this ability in order for me to see where the, those I am leading need to be, I need to hear their heart yeah. and understand that heart to help them na- navigate to that place. Yeah, and that you know, wisdom is a big part of that because what they're saying may not be uh, what they need to be saying. They may be speaking out of fear. Uh, there may be an idea where they should be that we know doesn't jive with scripture. So wisdom is a big part of that, but we've got to understand where they're coming from. I, I make with my kids, you just said this about yours, but, but with my kids, that is my biggest struggle. And and I think for people, you know, kind of like us who spend so much time talking to so many people, it's, it's easy for me to listen to my kids too and know like, no, that's, that's dumb what you're saying. Here's what you need to do. And my wife is always like, man, just sit down and listen. Oh. Just sit down and ask some questions. She's related um, with, to my wife. She's related. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it makes me mad, right? Uh, but it is a help because it, it gets me back to that place where I'm, you know, I go back in the bedroom and go, all right, hey, sorry about that. Like, hey, um, I realized that wasn't the best thing. Let's uh, tell me tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're dealing with. But but anyhow, it's it's it, it's understanding. It's it's listening. It's knowing their heart allowing God to use the Holy Spirit in your life, but having wisdom to know how to navigate that for them and how to put that in the context of, of God's will. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge that is, you know, none of this is to say this is easy, but it's really helping to move people along that path that God set them on. 
Yeah, that. Is, so let's go back to the man listening to this show. So yeah. you and I uh, have been pastors. We're in ministry now. We, through our vocation, have been paid to be Christians, essentially. <laughs> right. And so right. we've got, if we were to lay on some of these guys the things that we did to lead and are currently doing, we could overwhelm these guys. So I'm going to go back to your, your, uh, your wonderful statement about start where you are. Where where what, where can a guy? What's the next step for a guy who's doing? He's in the bleachers right now. He has not stepped into the leadership role and taken the mantle that God has given him for his family. What what can you say or what action step can you give him? Is is there anything that kind of pops up for you? Yeah, there are a couple of things. I, I think first of all, I don't know if it's an action step, but it's it's a realization that whether you're leading or not, doesn't change the fact, doesn't change the reality that that's what God has called you to do. You, you've got to get a hold of that first, right? And so having accepted that truth, then you need to do the next thing, which is decide to be the leader that God called you to be. So much of the reason nothing happens in our lives or things don't happen in our lives because we just never make that decision to, to move forward. So first of all, it's getting a hold of this truth that God created you to lead. God has people in your life that he wants you to lead. And that can be one person, uh, it can be a company, it can be a huge organization, it doesn't matter. There's somebody in your life that God wants you to lead, and he's, he's put you there to lead. So it's getting a hold of that, and then making the decision, okay, I'm, I'm deciding that I'm going to lead. Um, the challenge here is having made that decision, understanding what that looks like. So the action step I would encourage people to take is study the life of Jesus mm-hmm. and emulate the life of Jesus. Understanding that Jesus is God, that he left heaven and came to earth for no personal gain. I mean, God wants to have a relationship with us, but uh, he could have wiped us out and started over. He could have done anything he wanted to. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, wants to have a relationship with us. He walked among his creation. He was murdered by his creation. Uh, Romans 5, 8, love the verse, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? We didn't want him. We rejected him, and he still did what we needed him to do. And then how he interacted with his disciples, not just the ones closest to him, but the the multitude of disciples around him. Study the life of Jesus. And with that in mind, begin looking at people and asking the question, what has God given to me to steward over that I can use for the benefit of those that he's placed in my life? I think that's that's the real question that needs to be asked. And once we start doing that, it may be, I have an opportunity I can connect them to. Or I've learned this lesson I need to share with them. It's, it's, it's just starting small, but it's saying, I've got some things. Maybe it's not a lot, but I've got some things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I've got my testimony, which you know the book of Revelation says is, is the thing yeah, um, with yeah. the blood of the lamb that destroys uh, the devil, right? I, it's, it's powerful, but we don't think it is. I have my story. How can I use that to help others? I have these, these opportunities. I have this gifting. I have whatever. Begin looking at what God has given to you as there so that you can help others. Learning from the life of Jesus Christ, how to apply that. And man, trust God to open those doors. He absolutely will if you're committed to leading uh, where you are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When you said your testimony, it got me thinking about one of the quotes you had in your book. And I was on, I think, page 124. And you said there's power. So we think of our testimonies looking backward. 
But part yeah. of our testimony is looking at our lives now and then looking forward. You said there's power in viewing your life, talking about the leader, yeah. from the perspective of what could be instead of what is. And that goes back to your mm. definition of leadership, which is taking someone from where they are to where they need to be. So don't I, once I, once I start imitating and living passionately and radically for Jesus, don't I need to look at my life as well and go, well, where do I need to be? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk to us about self-leadership. Yeah, and you know that's really where it starts. And I, again, I, I think a big part of leading yourself is viewing leadership correctly and investing in the lives of others and doing those things because that's what God has called us to. But the commitment here for a leader is being conformed to the image of Jesus. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul talked about often, and we see um, throughout Scripture, you know, the New Testament epistles, it, it really boils down to... <laughs> Every single one seems to boil down to follow Jesus, follow Jesus, be like Jesus, uh, live a life that's conformed to Jesus. And I think the commitment for a leader is um, I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Philippians 3, where Paul talks about, um, you know, I, I, I'm committed to one thing, right? Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth into those things which are before. He talked first about having not apprehended, and he talks a few verses up about um, how he just wants to be in the likeness of the crucifixion of Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. It, it really is the commitment to being conformed to the image of Jesus. That to me is ground zero for Christian living, because if you get that right, then all of the other stuff we're fighting over all of the time right? It, it it all goes away because it really is not a question of, can I do this? Or can I do that? Or should I do this? Or how? It's it's always a question of what would Jesus want me to do in this situation? How would Jesus have me to live? How can I be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ? It's always about conformity to Jesus. You, you get it wrong a lot. This isn't to say any of us have this thing figured out. Paul said he hadn't. <laughs> but it's that commitment to being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That has to be the starting point for you know, not just leadership, but for Christian living and the Christian life. Well, to me, that is the apex or the summit of masculinity. Yeah, I mean, that's right. The, my that's my right. man theology is so simple. You radically give your life, radically, Yeah. born again to the yeah. God who made you. Only by imitating and following the God who made you can you understand the purpose you've been designed for. I yeah, mean, to me, it doesn't yeah. make sense. I mean, you said it already. It doesn't make sense. So... So I'm a storyteller. You're a story guy. So I want to go back to your book, and, and you talk about story, and this is that self-leadership part. You know, mm. figure you said, you said in your book, figure out what you want your story to be. Again, you're going back to what do you need, where you are now to where you need to be. For, mm. Figure out what your story is going to be and then begin to write those chapters. Yeah. Can you articulate that? So when we talk about your story. We'll use the word legacy often. Oh yeah. I think I think you and I talked about this before. Um, to me, legacy legacy is not building a memorial or a monument to yourself. Legacy is just understanding there is something we're leaving behind, and that something we're leaving behind for me, I think, in terms of story, because it's just easy for me to think in in that you know in that context. And any story has chapters. It has high moments and low moments, and that story works through um, the book to some kind of a conclusion. Thankfully, if we're still alive, the story is being written. There are chapters in the book, so to speak. But if you don't like what the story says up to this point, if you're still alive, you get to hit that enter key or that return key, 
and start a new paragraph. Maybe you need to turn the page and start a new chapter, but you can go from where you are right now, having not appreciated the life that you've lived up to this point or the decisions that you've made. You don't have to wallow in those. You can begin writing the story that you'd like to leave behind. I think of legacy as a birthright that you're handing to someone else. You're handing to those who are coming up behind you. If you have kids, this is easy to visualize, but someone is going to follow the example that you've set. So live to leave an example that you'll be proud others are following. And, you know, again, for me, uh, this is constantly going back to what does, you know, God want me to do? How does God want me to live? And, excuse me, what what gifts has God given to me? What um, even desires has God placed in my heart? And and what can I leverage that is unique to me that will be a help to those who are coming up behind me? And, and I, I've said this several times as we've talked, but leadership, legacy, none of it's ever about you. Yep, <laughs> and, that's and so good. When, you, when you're writing that story, you're not writing a story for yourself or to glorify yourself or to lift yourself up. It's not a memoir. Uh, it's 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 an, a how-to book. It's leaving instruction behind so that the people coming up behind you have something to follow. I use this word picture, and, and I, I kind of go off on a tangent here, but I use this <laughs> word picture when I'm talking about legacy. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. If your children, and if you don't have children, you have somebody in your life, but I'll talk about kids. If your children had only your example to follow, meaning they stepped everywhere you step, they looked at everything on a computer you looked at, they read every book you've read, they've talked to every person you've talked to, if they had only your example to follow, they could only step in the steps that you've left behind, would you be proud of where they end up? When I think about legacy, I think, okay, if my kids didn't have anything else to follow, didn't have anyone else to to get behind, um, would I be thankful for where they end up? The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 12 to uh, run the race before us as we follow Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And, and that's that example, right? I'm not Jesus. I don't want to be Jesus for my kids. But the story I'm leaving should be so aligned to the story that God has created me to live that if my kids follow my example, they're going to end up in the right place. The Apostle Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. It wasn't about him. It was about him showing others how to follow Christ. And that really should be the the motivation behind this writing of a story that is our life. So let's talk about another story. In your book, you, you said it's not about you when it comes to leadership, and I agree 100%. In your book, you tell the story of Medal of Honor winners. Can you tell us what you came, what you discovered as you researched Medal of Honor winners? That was that was really the genesis for me of wanting to go into the military. I always blame my dad for this. He gave me a book <laughs> when I was uh, I was probably ten or eleven years old. Um, he was cleaning up some stuff in my grandparents' house and came across this book he had when he was a kid. So you know, this is going back to the late fifties or early sixties, and it was a book of uh, it was a book written to boys. Um, I think Boys Life or one of those magazines from the sixties put it out, and and it was kind of dramatized stories of these Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And it just told the story. In fact, right here, actually. I don't know if anyone can see it, but it's this book right here. They Met Danger. I forgot it was it was on that shelf. Um, so people who are watching, the binding's falling off, and, and I have it here. So They Met Danger is this book. And it, it's just t- title of it, Real Life Stories of Men and Women Who Have Been Awarded the Medal, uh, or Men Who Have Been Awarded the Medal of Honor. 
And I remember reading that as a as a kid and thinking, man, there are people out there <laughs> who live for something bigger than themselves and and did these heroic acts, but it wasn't really about them. And the way the stories are written is, you know, in this supposed to be character building for young men. It's never about them. It's about them doing things for the men that they served with, all World War II veterans. This was coming out of that era. And um, that stirred in me what eventually became my desire to go into the Marine Corps and then to, um, you know, to serve as a Marine officer. Got into the Marine Corps. And at officer candidate school, we had a history class. And during that history class, it started the same way every time. Um, the instructor would read a citation, the actual citation from a Congressional Medal of, of Honor uh, recipient. He chose recipients that had been killed in the process of earning that Congressional Medal of Honor. Again, stirring up that thought that you can live for something bigger than yourself and that um, when you do that, others are protected and good things happen in the lives of those that are around you, but it takes sacrifice. So, um, man, that stirred something in me when I was a, a young man, you know, 10, 11, 12 and and really carried me through into the military and and even beyond how I view doing hard things. <laughs> um, oh, doing hard good. things isn't it's not for my benefit. Yeah. It's so that I can fully be what I need to be for others. Man, that this has been such a great interview, man. I'm so excited to get the feedback from this. I'm going to give our guys a boots on the ground based on what you said today. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. give the guys a chance to write their own story. So I'm going to get a yeah. guys give the guys a chance to go to where they need to be. Yeah. And from where they are, write about that. So guys, what I want you to do is I want you to, from the perspective of each of your children, I want you to put together a 1,000-word eulogy of your life after you die. What will your children write about you and that will yeah. be read at your memorial. I did that in 1997 and it changed my life. And ironically, yeah. 30, you know, 20 plus years later, it's coming to pass. Mm. Really interesting. So, man, thanks so much. So, so, okay, so we've been teasing about all your free stuff you give away, but we're going to call these yeah. guys to go buy your stuff. <laughs> Where can sure. guys go? Uh, one, to buy your resources. Two, to get help. Um, go to probably the one spot is to go to our website, mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org. We have a store there so you can buy uh, books and resources. You can find all of that. Um, there is a tab on our website. It's called Watch, and there are hundreds of videos there, interviews that we've done, conversations that we've had that are intended to serve as a resource. So you can check that out there as well. For those who are veterans, active duty service members, first responders, or spouses, uh, the most prominent button on our homepage is an apply button. So apply for the program. And uh, we'd love to invite you to come and be a part of that. Uh, again, no no cost to you. We do all the planning, the logistics. We'll get you there. Um, but you just have to fill out that application. And then our coordinators will get with you and, and make that happen. So yeah, mightyoaksprograms.org. That's the best place to find out um, about the organization and get resources. Um, or you can use my name, jeremystalnecker.com. And uh, I have a webpage set up as well, and that has all my social contacts and all the other stuff that I'm connected to. So leadership by design, Amazon, yes. or go to the website? Go to the uh, go to Amazon. Um, so leadership by design, I actually am in the process. I say I. I use I very loosely. It is in the process of being uh, laid out as a workbook and a teaching curriculum. Um, so we have on Amazon the Kindle version. Uh, an e-version. That's all that's on Amazon right now. That's all you can get a hold of right now. Um, so uh, go ahead and download that or check that out. 
And then uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll have that workbook up, which has just kind of expanded resources for folks. Cool. Well, hey, Jeremy, it's been a joy and a pleasure to have you on, man. Again, thank you for your service. And thanks so much for taking time to be with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate what you guys are doing. All right, man. Hey guys, as you know, our man laws are supplied by you. If we use your man law and you hit us up at menandarena.org with your physical address, we want to send you something just to say thanks. This is man law number 39 found in my book, Man Laws, 100 Ways to Get Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. This is contributed by Jeff Burgess. Jeff said this, never urinate on an electric fence facing upwind or facing uphill. Man, I saw that happen to my dog once, and I'm telling you what, he's absolutely right. The life rule to live by here, guys, is consider the consequences before you act. Hey, guys, make sure uh, to, if you've liked this episode, make sure you text the link to one of your buddies. Again, because you've been texting these links and sharing and subscribing, we were able to triple our audience last year. Uh, That is called explosive growth. Thanks to you who have partnered with us. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man.